0: I'm Shay Garaval and I'm Deputy Director of the Asian Women Festival and also your host for the Asian Women Festival podcast and I'm so excited um, to talk about this subject today because I love food. I am a self-professed foodie and for the podcast we are going to be discussing our relationship with food and we're joined by Rosie Ginde who is the founder of Miss Macaroon and also we have Natisha Patel who is an award-winning chef, food consultant and author. Natisha and Rosie, thank you ladies for coming into the podcast. Thank you. It's great to have you both here. Um, I am a self-professed foodie and I think my relationship food has been the biggest part of my life since I can remember. And I wanted to find out from both of you, where did your love for food begin and start into where you are now, where you just work with food on a daily basis? Where did it Start for you, Natisha.
1: I mean, I have memories of food from my childhood. So I come from a very large family and I just remember going to events every other weekend or in fact, every weekend, be it a birthday, a wedding, a party, just even a barbecue. Yeah. But everyone bought their own dish. And before me, before my eyes, I was just seeing this meal come together. Yeah. And, you know, we've got my uncles bringing the chicken, mum bringing a biryani, my gran bringing samosa, And together this feast just appeared. And that's where I just, Fell in love with food, and even as a kid, like my favorite toys to play with were always a toy kitchen. Oh, really? Yeah, Yeah. honestly, like I just I think I decided I was going to be a chef when I was probably four or five. I just knew in my head that this is what I want to do with the rest of my life just work with food. And where did it start for you, Rosie?
2: Similar kind of thing, actually. So, um, I've got lots of siblings, so the time actually cooking with my mum was the only time that we'd do things together, the two of us. So I say I learned how to make grottia when I was four. Obviously I was sat next, stood next to my (laughs) mum and she made them and I got to do the last two rolls kind of thing. And I'm like, I made it! Yeah! (laughs) So it was um, that real kind of memory of like just connection and bonding and just that power to like pull people together that really drove that passion. But also, you know, seeing my mum not as a mum when she invited like friends over or you know sisters or cousins to make big dishes so right you know there's going to be a wedding or someone's going away and yes. she's inviting everyone over um and they will make smosa together so the only time that I didn't see my mum as a mum and just her be like a woman was this time that she hung out with these women to to make hundreds and hundreds of smosa so it was just really nice to kind of see like the power of change that, yeah. that food brings about see this is something I
0: constantly think about I'm I'm a new mum and um I as much as I've just told you that I love food I'm not somebody who wakes up in the morning and it's like I can't wait, wait to cook I can cook like you know I know my husband would say oh, I'm, I'm a good cook but it's not the biggest passion in me on a personal level but something I've always wondered is we don't or, or, or I always think about is we don't really celebrate the amazing chefs that we have in our homes, right? It's like a given that, yeah, our moms cook and they cook really bloody well, like goddamn well, you know, in comparison to most households. Why do you think that is? Why do you think we just, do you think it's just in our minds that, yeah, our moms are cooking and that's it? Or uh, it could be our fathers as well, don't get me wrong, but we never really celebrate um, our mothers and their amazing ability to feed families and make, humongous feasts, the way that you might see with Greek families or Italians, you know, or Mexicans. It just doesn't seem to happen with Asian women.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think my family probably turns all that on its head okay so my mom's not the best cook she's much better now okay. but my gran <laughs> is just incredible so my mom's actually the youngest girl of a huge family so my gran always says that she's the one that was like pampered definitely you won't hear that from her <laughs> <laughs> oh. she would never yeah. admit that she's spoiled and never learned how to yeah. cook but I mean she she cooked everything for us when we were kids it wasn't the nicest stuff but <laughs> yeah 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 so everyone's always like oh my mom's chicken my mom's this and I'm just like no my gran's right yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. you I'm back to grandma. Yeah, yeah definitely and my dad was actually a massively you know just he explored with everything so we'd make and my mum would make quite traditional and then my dad would just do this with the fridge and like empty it'd be like mushrooms and cabbage and just nice. like such random begotten oh. but it was always really good and we we learned how to experiment from him yeah so you know I think um just the the day-to-day of it stops us from kind of celebrating i think also just normalizing right Mums in the kitchen or whoever's in the kitchen yeah you you don't necessarily see how special it is and i do agree that we don't tell those stories enough
1: i just i think it's a
0: real shame what do you think retisha
1: i think it's a generational thing and i think we're just so used to having good food that we don't feel like we have to celebrate it just because it's It's a given. It is a given. It's like, oh, mom's food is always going to be the best. That's not going to change. Whereas you go to some other households and yeah, you're right. The food won't be as great as it is, as what we have at home. I remember when I used to work away in London, I'd be going out to Michelin star restaurants almost every week. as part of a food tour, And it was lovely. Don't get me wrong. But I'd come home and just having mom's dal or my nan's roti, like nothing beats that. And it's just that ultimate comfort food that we're so used to because we've grown up with it. We don't think of it as out of the ordinary when actually it's pretty extraordinary. Yeah. Our Indian food I personally think there's nothing else like it, to be honest. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, yeah. I, I, I think it,
0: you know, um, I mean, obviously when we talk about Indian food, you've got Punjabi, Gujarati, South Indian, yeah. they're all very different. And in yes. this country, we know that Punjabi food is the most popular, although that's never really talked about. Everything's just put under one bracket. But yeah. it's so many intricacies, so many flavors, so yeah. so much to experiment and enjoy with.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'd actually challenge that. It's actually, when you go to... Um, the Curry House. Yes. Mm. It's actually Bangladeshi food. And Bangladeshi, yes. That is that is really kind of known as yeah. what we know as a curry. Yeah. So, you know, that's totally pushed to the fore. I mean, when I worked in a Michelin-starred restaurant, we always used to stop um, during the break and it would be one person's job to create the staff food that everybody right. could eat before we started the evening shift again. Yeah. And everyone would be like, oh, make a curry, make a curry. I'm like, dude, that's not a curry. Uh, <laughs> let yeah. me show you. Let me show you some proper Punjabi food. This yeah. is this is like proper home cooked food. Um, and you know, everyone was kind of blown away about how different it yeah. was. Yeah. So I think, you know, just, that education piece is, is also really, really important. See, now yeah. that's
0: something that I really want to talk about is, is education. But I know recently this conversation around um, cultural appropriation has been coming up a lot. We've seen... Um, I would say more so before the lockdown, because obviously now the coffee shops have closed down, but we saw places like Costa, Starbucks, Cafe Nero, all of a sudden within a space of a month, you know, launching turmeric lattes Mm. as if they were the brand new craze. And, you know, we could see on social media, all of the Asians like, we've been having this since we were kids (laughs) and it's not turmeric lattes, it's haldi and dud. Let's just (laughs) say it how it is, you know. Um, And and there are so many other types where we can talk about cultural appropriation with food. Um, especially South Asian food. I just wonder what's your perspective? Should we be celebrating that or is it time for us as Asians to own it and actually say, hold on. Yes, it's nice that you enjoy our food, but let's not get it twisted. This is South Asian food or this is Indian food or Bangladeshi food or Pakistani food, whatever it is, or Sri Lankan food. Let's own it for what it is.
2: It's such a complex problem, isn't it? It is. And you can't really have the conversation in a very one dimensional way. right? Mm-hmm. So you can't just talk about, you know, specific recipes being taken because it's about like decolonizing yes. a whole experience. So it's not just about food, it's about how we feel about ourselves yeah. and, and what we allow ourselves to say and do and look like, you know, it's just so kind of all pervasive. Um, I'm probably going to say something that's a little bit, you know. Say it. Good. Do it. Honestly. <laughs> Different to what everybody else will say. But my mum learned how to cook really nice food from Rick Stein. So and there we go. <laughs> oh, wow. But on the flip side of that coin, if Madda Jaffrey isn't allowed to go to Italy and talk about Italian food and do Italian food tours and, you know, show us the amazing like home cooked food that she really wanted to do, then Rick Stein shouldn't be able to do it exactly in India. Going to so India. i yeah. think um there's so much uh positive stuff that can come out from these kind of travel diaries but yeah. you know it has to like we have to take out the colonialism yeah. out of it and we have to expand that um opportunity and you should be able to go to any country that you want to talk go to and talk about those food and create those recipes just in the same way that you're doing for you know, Indian food as yeah. well. So I think that's that's a really really important part of the conversation. But we shouldn't we to have. should
0: just say it as it is, right? Usually, if we, I mean, I, I, you've mentioned Rick Stein. There are so many others. Yeah. Usually, it tends to be a middle-aged white man who will rock up in some part of South Asia and, oh wow, look at this amazing home cooked food that I found. Did, did you find that offensive? I think it's right what you said, Rosie, that you know, um, you know, food writers, chefs, etc., like yourself, should be able to go to any cuisine. And, uh, in any country and be able to do what the other, you know, their white counterparts are doing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. To be honest, I don't find it offensive when I was growing up you know, my heroes were the likes of Gary Rhodes, Rick Stein, Keith Floyd. And when I watched Rick Stein go to India and do that series, I actually got choked up watching it for the first time because it meant that much to me that a white man has gone to India and he was literally eating off the streets with the locals. Mm. And that means a lot to me, like given the fact that he's got these amazing restaurants and this great Mm. personality and he's so big here in the UK. But for him to go and do that with the locals, that made me feel really proud as an Indian woman. Yeah, But growing up, I never saw anyone that looked like me on TV. It's mm. only when I was watching Blue Peter as a kid and I saw Connie Huck. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, there's an Indian presenter on TV and she has frizzy hair like me. So like that stood out for me. My heroes never ever looked like me, but I've always wanted to have somebody in the media that I could relate to. Right. But knowing that these people, okay, I can't relate to them. But they're loving and they're enjoying what I enjoyed. That yeah. meant something to they me. They eat what I eat and exactly. they get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they weren't eating in a restaurant. They were nah. eating in people's homes, in people's houses, on the coast of India. So they were really appreciating what I would appreciate if I was to go to India. So I think for me, that kind of turned it around and it just opened my eyes. But let's talk a little bit
0: about the future then, right? Because both of you are successful businesswomen in your own rights. You've got fantastic careers, um, and but they're very different. Maybe like not from, you know, the, the norm, especially um, Rosie, um, your amazing, amazing business, Miss Macaroon, which you founded over eight years ago. Where did the passion and love for macaroons even begin for you? Because yeah. that, you know, it might... A lot of people might feel it's really left field if we're talking about the home cooking at home to go mm. and do something like that how, how
2: did that all start for you definitely it was actually almost 10 years ago now so, wow 10 years um, wow yeah it, we're a social enterprise and that's okay. really how my um, experience with food and my culture comes into the business so we reinvest 100% of our profits in providing training and jobs for long term unemployed young people wow and my experience being at the godwara on the weekends you know making loads of food and our godwara is really really open so people do walk in off the street and we had homeless People come in, and it was very, very welcoming. Yeah. Um. And I think that's just really important. You know, that understanding that food has the power to nourish, but also it's the way to serve. Yeah. Um. I think that you know, loads and loads of. It's not just Sikhism. There's so many cultures and faiths that have that that charitable aspect to it and for me it was really just about finding a product that we could sell and people really wanted to buy um that would enable us to create that social change and you know I started to make macaroons and, and just completely got obsessed so it worked out really nicely did the, did the, the family have to like test a lot of the macaroons because
0: I would have loved to have been in your house <laughs> if you were trying out like,
2: the different flavors well most of my family don't eat eggs for, because okay. of their religious beliefs so um no because I, I was a pastry chef at the time then actually I was redesigning um the afternoon tea menu at work so I got to create my own recipe through that which was a really good way to kind of create a business because you're getting paid to do a yeah. day job while while experimenting for your side hustle which was really really nice um but throughout throughout the years yeah uh, the ones that do eat eggs have have um had a lot and actually um all my nephews are, are super obsessed by them which isn't the best because yeah. you know we, we definitely say everything in moderation whereas... <laughs> <laughs> especially with macaroons I get that definitely. um and for yourself Natisha
0: because you know you have taken real inspiration from your up bringing with with cooking um have have family members been like oh that's one of our recipes in the book or you know kind of what has that been like for you
1: i mean to be honest when i wrote the first book i reached out to all my family so like my uncle who we call uncle rambo he makes the best goat curry So okay. I was like right we're going to spend the day together and we are going to perfect this curry and i'm going to write down the recipe so together we spent the day he had a few cans opened up a bottle of whiskey as he does yeah. and we just created a goat curry and when we cooked it together it was just like magic happening in the kitchen because we were talking about family memories and we had this real connection going so I honestly feel having that relationship with the family just strengthens these recipes and the fact that I tell stories as well so with my recipe books every recipe has a story Mm. about what the recipe means to me the origins where it's come from so to be able to share that and then have people on social media reaching out saying I just made your uncle's goat curry and it's amazing and I love the story so for me all dishes tell a story so to share that with my followers just means the world to me because
0: you're but you're, you're both nodding like you're nodding at that Rosie do you do you agree with that has it been the same for you is, is there a particular food that you can think of right now both of you and there's a story behind it
2: oh hundreds yeah <laughs> yeah so tell me many. one so many so um my favorite even though I'm vegan now my favorite dish um is definitely lamb curry okay. my mummy oh. used to make it she used to have a pub um oh. just in Perry Bar actually and um they, every Sunday they used to do their... Sunday dinner, which was this massive lamb curry that she'd have on from s- Saturday morning in this huge vat and it would just be simmering away. And oh, it was so incredible. But she's got three boys, she passed away now. So that, oh. that recipe's gone, oh, um, but yeah, it's, it's just really sad. But th- you know, that, that smell yes. Yes. of like cooking lamb, I'm like, oh, it's almost there. And then you're just like, no, it's not the same. It's not oh. the <laughs> same, it's never <laughs> gonna be the same as a mummy. It's yeah. so
0: so true, right? It's because it's like, you know, when we, and this is something, that I really do believe it. We have lost so many of those stories mm. because we haven't written down the recipes or we haven't passed them on. and you know the women in our family have taken those with yeah. them, you know, and it's almost like we as a generation have that responsibility now to um to hold on to it. like one of mine has actually got nothing to do with me. i'm I'm a vegan as well but I was brought up vegetarian, but I've got married to a guy who is a meat eater. In his words, he will eat anything with it's back to the sun. Uh, and you know, in recent years, his grandma, we call her big mum, she uh, was very ill. She sadly passed away at the beginning of last year, but he, I remember, I'll never forget, he said to me, look, um, there's something you need to do and this has got nothing to do with you. It's to do with me, but I really need you to do it because I've tried and I was like, okay, thinking, I had no idea what he was going to come up with it. And he said... I need you to go and spend the day with big Mom, and you need to come back and have perfected her spaghetti bolognese. Oh, because wow. I cannot live without Vidi Mummy's spaghetti bolognese. I was like, okay. And, but like, seriously, this is like make or break for Sunny. He was like, you got to understand, my childhood is oh in this. Gosh. And that recipe, like I've tried it and I can't get it right. <laughs> and big Mom won't tell anyone, you know, she just so you have to observe her. So I, I and I, again, I don't, eat meat so i don't know when oh, the mince yeah. is made you know so i i'll <laughs> never forget spending like three days going every day and say look buddy no Mummy, i really want to learn and the first day buddy Mummy was like uh-huh, <laughs> like you know like argi she's come let's see you know she's gonna watch me now you know you know what it's like yeah. the elderly family they're like what do you mean you're gonna come and yeah. watch me i'm just gonna make it i don't know and then i'm like stood there saying do you use one spoon or two spoons <laughs> you know how much and and she's looking at me like no I use my fingers, oh. and I just whatever I need. I'm like, what? Do you like? There needs to be like some consistency, yeah. but I feel like with our parents, there isn't. They no. just she would her thing always used to be was Ma <laughs> yeah. which is I'll I'll look and I see and if I need more salt I'll put it but it works but, but it works right yeah. so I really I, I would say that I haven't perfected it exactly but I got the fundamentals down and when I say spaghetti bolognese it's the, the Asian version so uh. it's actually like kimma, but with spaghetti yeah. if oh, you see what okay. I mean I love that so like that's something that again I cook it but it's interesting you talk about smell because when I when I'm cooking it because I can't actually eat the meat. Um, it's the smells. And yeah. I, can, I can kind of now tell that, okay, that's getting close to what Mummy used to do. Or maybe I need to add a little bit more haldi there. Or don't overcook the onions or, you know, the tomatoes. What, what is that story for you? That there must be oh a story God, of a particular, is, f- yeah, choose one. There's so much, but it
1: has to be dal. Okay. I just love dal. I've written a book on dal. Yes, you have. <laughs> Which I love. <laughs> yeah. um, but mom's dal on a Saturday, there's nothing else like it, like the texture. And similar to that story, mom, how do you know the dal's ready? When it's ready, when it's thin enough, when it's yeah. thick enough, when it's got enough sugar in it. And I'm like, no, but you know, quantities, I need quantities. And she's like, it doesn't matter about quantities. It's different every time, but you have to get it the same every time. So when you get it out the pressure cooker, the consistency can be different. Yeah. But when you finish it off, it's always the same. And I'm like, but how do you do that? And she can't explain it. I'm writing recipes and I can't explain it. But when you know, you just know.
0: Do you find that as well, Rosie? It's probably not the same with macaroons, right?
1: Because it's a real science, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Pastry is completely different to cooking. And actually,
2: even though I'm a pastry chef, I would definitely say I'm I'm much more of a regular chef. So I I never bake at home just because that's work. Um, but I love cooking at home. Yeah. Um, and you know, the fact that I've called my mom spoil and said that she can't cook is, <laughs> is going to push me over the edge of the reason that I'm going to be disowned. But another, <laughs> uh, the original reason that I'm about to be disowned is because I make dal in like 15 minutes. No. Yes. Oh so my- Dal in 15 <laughs> minutes. I need the recipe for that. Yeah. <laughs> I think it kind of tastes the same, but you know, anyway, so my first business was um, actually a vegan and vegetarian restaurant and art space in Taiwan that I set up when I was 21. One of my friends, a Canadian friend that we used to teach English over there together. And um, we used to do lots and lots of different stuff, but one of the things was... and I was like right we just got to make it super quick come on come on and just perfected this recipe and I'll send my mum a video on whatsapp and she's like that just doesn't look right I'm like it tastes fine yeah it took 15 minutes and I'm about to kill somebody (laughs) (laughs) I'm so hungry right now this is good (laughs) but it's one of those things isn't it
0: because I I find that especially with our our mothers and all I shouldn't just say mothers it's the cooks in our household whether it's the fathers or the mothers uh, or the men or the women and the cooks in our household if you don't do it then way it's like sacrilegious yes it's like no 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 that's not how you do it like the biggest one in my household is um some of us in our family will overcook the onions some of us will undercook the onions and it's like well if you don't get the curry the onions right then the whole curry the masalas are in forget it do you you're gonna have to start again and i'm like just Calm down, it's only onions, but we have like real ownership, don't yeah. We, the way and the style that we cook with,
1: yeah. But then we don't want to
0: change it either.
1: Absolutely, it's so much more than food, it's like a way of life that the base has to be right, the flavors have to be right. That's not the way I would do it because it means so much more to us. It's more than eating food, it's an experience. It is a meal experience to sit around the table with the family, and like with most of our Indian film films mm-hmm. Indian movies everything comes together because everything's done in parts so you'll have a curry you'll have accompaniments you'll have raita salad roti naan everything comes together to form a meal experience with different tastes different textures different flavors and that's what makes the meal but every part of cooking that is so fundamental see something I
0: also find as well with this is like there's such a wide conception that a wider conception that actually um Indian food or or Asian food whatever you want to call it South Asian food um, is unhealthy Mm. and that's a big misconception because from what we're talking about right now we were all brought up solely on South Asian food whether it was dal, lamb, ruti whatever the fundamentals With the basics of, you know, any Asian food from the continent, whether it's Indian, Pakistani, Bangladeshi or Sri Lankan, you know, the the base of the flavors, the spices. I just don't understand where, why we can't break away from this idea that Asian food or Indian food is unhealthy.
2: I I really think it's to do with the westernization of some of our dishes. So to, to make them better for the palate, you know, you can see it with the the movement of dishes across the globe, like they change. And yeah. that's that's why fusion foods are actually amazing because you just pull all of these flavors together like your spaghetti bolognese that yes. is really not spaghetti bolognese no, it and not. an Italian person would spit on you <laughs> they <laughs> you probably, probably would that. they would they would we <laughs> but, should just call it gima with spaghetti yeah exactly. <laughs> but you know spaghetti's originally noodles yeah, from China so and, you know, yeah you've got this like movement of food across the globe and it changes and it progresses um but it, it changes to make it palatable to certain people and certain cultures so I think the way that curries were made more palatable it was actually like the the, the addition of cream yes, to make, yeah. to make it richer so you know actually cooking stuff in ghee in ghee you know because we didn't originally use a huge amount of it. It's actually really healthy. Yeah. You know, changing to oils that can be quite harmful when you take them to that kind of smoke point or yeah. that cooking point isn't as healthy. But, you know, having tons and tons of ghee also isn't, isn't healthy. healthy. Yeah, it's <laughs> fine in a balance though. And exactly. can I just add some more into the mix? We actually
0: at home call the spaghetti bolognese noodles. That is actually oh. what we call them, which is just a whole uh, different thing completely in our household. Everything is different. But do, do you agree with that in terms of the concept of, Asian food being unhealthy
1: absolutely especially here in the UK I don't think Asian food that we eat at home is unhealthy Mm. I think Asian food ties into Ayurveda which is a whole different piece but Ayurveda dates back 4,000 years and it's all about a lifestyle choice and eating in moderation eating with the seasons eating spices for health because before medicine before modern medicine we lived off spices right you know and that's where Ayurveda comes into play but here in the UK for the last hundred years, curry houses have been created to cater for the British public, mm. who just assume our curries are full of butter, full of ghee, full of creams. Even the onions in most curry houses are pureed for a smoother mouthfeel. They never dice onions, which have been fried out because right. that takes too long. But before service, the chefs will boil tons and tons of onions and puree it down. And that's how they make their sauces. Because apparently Indian curries are always smooth when, in fact, we know that they're not. Yeah, We like them. Um, a thinner sauce at home. It's more broth-like than you'd find in a restaurant. But when you go to a restaurant and you order a curry, they're all so far removed from what we know as a curry. Curry is not even a word. It comes from a Sri Lankan word saying, carry, begin with a K, but it's an anglicized British word to cater for the people here in the UK that wanted a curry. And it just so happens that now a chicken tikka masala is the nation's favorite dish. Yeah. When it's not found anywhere in India, yeah. the closest thing is a butter chicken. But it's very far removed from what people here know as a chicken tikka masala. And I just love that. I love how, you know, recipes
2: change. And yeah. you can kind of, it's like with words, you can kind of figure out the history and the journey of a word. Like you, you can, you know, tell me 10 different French words that we use in yeah. the English language yeah. right now. Yeah. And you can see from recipes that we use today how they have changed. So in our house, Goody is... Um, yogurt yes. that you put gram flour in, yep. and yeah. you put you know put the spices in first, and you add that. That's a roux. Yeah, yeah exactly. You no, know, that's yeah. actually a f- how you a make a French thinner. French yeah. base yeah. for a sauce. Yeah. So you know, people would have gone over to india or come back over here and try to make recreate their own cuisine within these places because of the raj and you know all all of those kind of mass migrations of people whether it was going to india or coming back over you can see how those cooking styles have influenced and i think that's really interesting there's so Um, many stories there really is i mean it's all kind of Bit, like built up and, and merged with the extraction yeah. of knowledge and resources and all that kind of stuff. So it's never, you know, a, an easy thing to to figure out and pull apart, but I, I find it really interesting. Yeah,
1: me too. I think one of my most favorite stories is um, the origination of a vindaloo. Okay. So yeah. when you go to a curry house and, you know, on a Friday night, the lads want a pint and a vindaloo and see who can finish their dish off. It's almost like a very British cultural thing to do now, eat the most hottest curry off the menu. But vindaloo, if you break it down, you got vin, which is Portuguese for wine, and you yeah. got alo, potato. So when the Portuguese were invading Goa, they kept their meat on the ships. They kept it preserved by soaking it in wine because they didn't have any fridges. So when they got to Goa and they saw all the spices, they put together their meat, which was soaked in wine, with potato, with the spices. Hence, a vindaloo, a... Exactly. Ah. Vindaloo, the wine, the alo, the meat, and the spices. It
0: just shows there's so much. I mean, like I, I think we could, I, I could, I could just have a history lesson from both of you in terms <laughs> of the history of food. But I want to end it with just finally, with with both of you having these fantastic careers and successful careers, all originating around food. What is the one go-to meal oh, for you? Because like I find it, I struggle to um put it down one meal I just always say I love Indian starters like yeah. if I'm I'm that girl who's at a wedding any or any function or even at a restaurant I will just look at the starters menu and I I just kind of order tapas style I just want it all and I will indulge with the samosa pakore and everything else in between <laughs> that's that's me at the core but I know that's not very healthy <laughs> um at all but that that like if I was talk about my ultimate you know final day on earth what am I going to eat I'm going to devour aloo jaht and I'm going to have some you know um problems with it with some more sin all all of that okay. so what,
2: what is that for, for both i'll let you go first right? go rosie so last meal on earth um it's quite hard now that i'm vegan it's not, not quite yeah. filled Aww. with the same joy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but for me at the moment i'm like trying to support independent businesses and yeah. local businesses where p- possible and the indian brewery is just around the corner from <laughs> me like <So> nice. incredible <laughs> beers um in the arches just by snow hill station in birmingham yeah. and they do these incredible fat naans nice so they're just like gobbi subji in a really nice fluffy fat naan and it's just heaven it's really love good. it it's really good I don't know hopefully I'm really old when I die yeah <laughs> I don't know that my false teeth will be able to get into it but, uh, I hope to change my dish as Aww. the years go by um, that sounds w- incredible and what That's about good. yourself
1: so I have childhood memories of whether it was snowing outside or we were on a beach, the barbecue comes out and if it's pouring down in the rain the tarpawning comes out. It does not matter, but we're always having a barbecue every weekend. Now we can't do that because we have busier lifestyles, but every few weeks my family and I go for a mixed grill. Okay. So when you mentioned in your brewery, I was like yes. So for me it would have to be a homemade barbecue or if not a mixed grill. Oh nice. And it would be made and with in the rain. Yeah, You'd have to okay, yeah. we're in Britain, right? No rain, whatever. Let's
0: just accept it's going to be raining. Like, yeah. I mean, that's inevitable. Um, look, Rosie and Natasha, it's been such a pleasure. I've thoroughly enjoyed this chat but right now i'm so hungry what <laughs> i want to do is eat. like i literally that is all i want to oh. do um if you would like further details for these fantastic women you can go to i am miss macaroon or at rosie Ginde mbe on social media and for naticia it's at chef underscore Natisha. ladies thank you so much what a great chat on food thank you
1: thank you thank you